Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard Community Church in Wycliffe. We're so glad you're here. Um, welcome to everybody joining us online. We're so glad you've joined us. Um, we're going to do some worship this morning through, the, through our music and through the Word. And um, I just wanted to share this morning that I, I want to pray over us that we all are filled with joy this morning. Because I was riding in this morning so full of joy, unexplainable joy, because I was very tired and not necessarily ready to come practice this morning. Um, and then I was reminded of the verse that the joy of the Lord is our strength in all circumstances. And other verses include, um, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And I just pray that over us this morning, that um, God would fill us with his joy. Because um, it's such a, it's an amazing feeling, and um, I just want to share that with you guys. So I'm going to pray over us. Hopefully you're not tired of seeing my face. I've been up here for a few weeks now. (laughs) He's back, though. He's back next week. So it won't just be me, which is great. Um, But I'm going to pray. God, we are so thankful for you. Um, We're so thankful for what this season has meant, that you sent your son here um, to redeem the world, to be with us because you so desired relationship with us and that you're continuously with us. So I thank you. I thank you for everybody here, everybody joining us online. Um, And we just ask, Holy Spirit, come in this place um, and show us what you're doing. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. So however you feel comfortable to worship, you can. Um, And we're going to get started with some music.
God, we thank you so much for your presence in this place. There is nothing better than you, Jesus. Nothing better than you, God. So thank you for this worship. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Lord, there's nothing better than you. Let that marinate for a minute, just for a minute. Nothing better than him. There's things out there that try to grab us, but they won't do. There's nothing better than him. Hallelujah. Well, welcome all to the Vineyard Community Church in this brand new Happy New Year. We're so glad you could join us here at the Vineyard and all of you at home. We are live streaming our Sunday service on Facebook and later on on YouTube, I believe, right? Right, right? Okay. We are praying you'll be blessed. You, we're praying you'll see the blessing of God's plan unfolding for you and this body of, and this body of Christ in the new year. Join us in praying for this, please. We are beginning our first sermon series of this new year found in Genesis, the patriarchs, encountering the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pastor Brent Paulson's message today is Abraham's call found in Genesis 12. Grab your Bible or cell or laptop, no, not laptop, notebook, whatever, to look up today's text, you will also find it printed in part of your bulletin. Now, please take out of your bulletin uh, the insert and check this out. It says, as we continue to seek the Lord for his direction this year, we'd like to hear the things the Lord is placing on your heart. Let us know what topics you'd like to learn more about in the new year to strengthen your walk with the Lord. Select your topic, select your top two by placing the, the numbers one and two on the line next to the topic or write your own next to the word other. Make your choices and place survey in the box on the offering table. Food assembly is back tomorrow, Monday, January 9th from 5 to 7 p.m. Then on Tuesday, beginning at 11 a.m., we need volunteers to set up our pantry at 3 p.m. Volunteers are needed to help with our food distribution. And at 6 p.m., we need volunteers to help with cleanup. Okay, we're going to try this again here. Finally, we want to say a word about your Vineyard Food Source Resource Center. Many of you volunteer regularly with this outreach. Thank you. And perhaps this year, more of you would like to come, would like to donate some time. Here is a report of our 20, 
2022 stats. Total number of people we serve, 18,371. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Number of household with senior citizens, 5,074. Total pounds of food distributed, 400,097, 727 pounds. Total meals, 400,014, 773. Not million like I said last week, but anyway. Because of our amazing relationships with the Greater Cleveland Food Bank, we pay an average of one cent, one cent per pound for food, and we serve all of that. We do all of that, but we do pay for delivery. Nutritious food distributed is 74%. That's awesome. We also receive food and goods from eight different retail stores in addition to the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. Don't forget today's offering. We appreciate it so much. We have a small table set up at the back of the sanctuary for your offering or donate on our church website or on Facebook. We so appreciate you joining and worshiping the Lord with your offering. God bless you. Have a good, good week. And Pastor Britt, coming up. morning. Whoops, I don't need that. There we go. Good morning. Happy New Year, everyone. It's, uh, I wasn't here last week. I was playing hooky. And uh, Marvin uh, Gray did an awesome job. I heard some of his message. Um, some of you don't know, Marvin, Marvin is actually a chaplain for uh, Road Race Ministries. I think it's called Road Race Ministries. And um, he travels around to different um, big national road race events and he's the chaplain he does weddings and funerals and um, things like that and he speaks at those so um, that's that's awesomely cool this morning I uh, was coming coming in and we some of us got together yesterday and helped one of our um, single women in our church move she actually moved right down the street from us yay so yeah actually we have we have myself and Cindy, who's back in the sound room, and we have Chris, who's one of my neighbors who came in to visit us this morning. So we're literally, that street in Euclid is taking over the church. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, Jackie Brennan lives down there, too. So we have even more. Um, so, yeah, we're taking over. Um, no, um, Chris, my neighbor, stopped by one day with a, this beautiful Bernie's Mountain Dog, this little puppy that's how we actually met um i i liked his dog and then i actually and then i actually liked him too so that was good but um just a beautiful dog it came it came by and it was about this big and it had paws about this big and i'm like oh my gosh that's going to be a huge dog and it is i think it's like 100 pounds or something now or more <laughs> it's big um but they're beautiful dogs so today we're going to uh, begin the series and we're going to talk about um, the, the pioneer or the um, trailblazer of our faith, of our faith. I was reading 
some different biographies or some histories on different people. And I came across Florence Nightingale. Some of you are familiar with her. When she was young, when she was about 17, her parents were very wealthy, and they were aristocratic uh, English, an English family. And her dad was super intelligent, and so he taught them. By the time they were 17, they knew Greek, Hebrew, and about seven other languages, and all kinds of other things. And um, uh, she wasn't super religious. She didn't really. She grew up in a Unitarian church, but. She didn't really know a ton about God, but when she was 17, she was kind of being pushed by her parents to find you know, a rich young man to marry so she could go off and live this wonderful social life that, that was pretty common for the aristocracy in Britain. You've probably seen like uh, Downton Abbey. Or, um, but anyway, that she needs to do something more, that she needs, in specific, that she needs to... Um, address some of the problems in her society and in her culture, specifically related to medicine and, and sanitation and things like that. And she doesn't really know what it is, so she begins talking to some people about it and, and realizes that it was God calling her, 10 or 12 nuns, and try and help. They were losing more soldiers kind of in the infirmary than they were even at the, at the front lines. It was horrible. It was just horrible living conditions. There was, you know, one of the, one of the uh, worst living conditions of any kind of army or war anywhere. And so she took these 10 or 12 women and began to revolutionize how they did medicine. And she revolutionized the, um, not only that, but later on she began revolutionizing the sanitation systems in England because they were so bad. And she revolutionized all these things. She was actually a statistician. And, and during this whole time, her parents were really upset with her because she wasn't following the norm. She wasn't living out this life that they thought she should live in this aristocracy. And she just thought, you know what? I cannot live like that. I, once she had, had sensed that call from God and responded to it, nothing could stop her from from pressing out in this life that, that she was felt she was being called to. And she was able to change hundreds of thousands of lives. Not only that, when she came back from the war, and she was called, I think, the Lady of the Lamp or something, because she would go around at night to the soldiers and just meet with them and comfort them. And she did such an amazing job that when she got back from the war, the Queen of England gave her some kind of award, but also gave her $250,000. And she took that money and she invested it in, in a nursing school and began training nurses on how to do nursing. And our, a, a huge amount of our... But when you're in... Any of you ever been in a hospital? Who takes, who takes care of you? The nurses. The doctors come in. They, they come in like, you know, like usually like really late. Like, oh, I'll be in in the morning. I'm like, okay. And then it's like four days later, you know, they show up. And they come in and they go, you okay? Yeah, okay. And then they leave. But it's the nurses who, who do all this stuff. And so a big thanks to nurses. Um, but anyway, I, the, the reason I bring that up is because I don't think that's unique. I don't think that's supposed to be unique. I think that Every one of us that 
has encountered or come into an encounter with Jesus is called to something. I don't believe that we we live in a Christianity that's been diluted horribly to the point where where we think, okay, I just need to cognitively believe these certain sets of doctrines and I'm good. Well, faith has never been like that. It's never been like that. Can you imagine if Jesus, when he was, he's working with Peter and James and John, and, you know, and they're in the boat and they're fishing, and instead of telling him to go cast the nets out and do all that, he said, okay, here's, here's five things I want you to cognitively understand, and then tomorrow I'll come back and you can give me uh, your dissertation on what you think they mean. Right? No, he says, go cast your nets out. And they fill up their whole boat. And they come ashore, and they realize they've had a divine encounter. And the next words out of Jesus' mouth are, Come, follow me, and what? I will make you fishers of men and women. I will change your life. When Jesus came into my life many years ago, when I, when I actually opened it up and said yes, after arguing and pushing back and fighting and clawing to not, you know, you know, has that happened to any of you? Like, you know, some people are like, yeah, I just have believed in Jesus my whole life. Well, I did till I was about 13, and then I discovered drugs and stuff and did all that stuff. But then when I came back about 20, one of the first things that happens after I kind of acknowledged and just said, yes, you are, you are, I want you, I want you, I want you. I that's how the best I can describe what this, you know, conversion, redemption, transformation, new life. One of the first things God did is begin putting in my heart this, this yearning and desire that just wasn't satisfied with what I was doing. And it wasn't, what I was doing was not bad. I was working at Cerebral Palsy Center. My wife and I helped start a, a center that, uh, that provided um, um, jobs and education for people who had cerebral palsy and other various physical and mental disabilities. And so we, we were doing something really good. And it was awesome, and I loved it. And, and, and many people were called to do that. That was their calling. But I felt like, you know what? God was saying, no, I've got something different for you. And so Teresa and I just kept pursuing that. And somehow, it, somehow we ended up in this little town called Wycliffe, Ohio, which was just such a weird thing. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But today I want to look at, at the pioneer, the, the trailblazer. One of the, this is one of the first people in the Bible that, that shows us what it looks like when God begins to get a hold of us and calls us. What does this look like? And his name is, at this point, is Abram, which means great father, something to that effect. It's Abram, and his wife's name... By the way, Sarah gets left off this all the time, but guess what? She was a really big part of this too, right? I mean, the whole story would be kind of like, you know, where would Isaac come from, you know? I mean, seriously, I'm just... You know, and besides that, she was just part of this journey. She had to, she had to, to, to partner with him in this. She had to go along and, and be part of this whole thing too. And she encounters God, and she, she has funny interactions with God through this whole process. So it's not just Abraham, or Abram. It's Abram and Sarah. 
And it's not even just them. It's also this guy named Lot, who's their nephew, whose father had died. And Abram t- takes in because he's just a man of compassion. So I'm going to start in, in the very end of the 11th chapter of Genesis, and then we'll make our way forward from there. It's, it's, it's this story after, it's, it's the 11th, like three quarters of the way through the 11th chapter of Genesis. And if you know anything about the Bible, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the first chapter starts out really good, and the second chapter is like really good. And then from the third chapter to the 11th chapter is is oh my gosh it's awful it's like it's like the world starts turning into the upside down from stranger things do you know do you know what the the upside down is the upside down is like this really dark place like mortar if you know that kind of thing i mean the world just keeps getting worse and worse it starts all with cain or abel killing cain and then it moves on to God having to to do the whole flood thing because humanity had just gotten so... And, you know, knowing and understanding who God is and how merciful and kind and redemptive he is, it's amazing that God just went, you know what, there's not saving this thing, you know? I've had certain cars over the years, and I'm not saying humans are like cars, but I've had certain cars where I've, I've brought them into my mechanic, and, and I bring him in, and I go, hey, can you fix this? And he goes, well, I can for about $20,000. Like, it, 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 Brent, it's, it's time, to, time to say goodbye. You know, it's not. Uh, humanity must have gotten to that point, and so you have that. And then right after that, as humanity begins kind of rebuilding itself, what do they do? They try and make a name for themselves, and they build this giant tower to the heavens, to make a name for themselves. You see, we, humanity, our broken humanity, has always been, uh, like Martin Luther said, it's been curved in on itself. We're, we're super self-focused people. And, and by the way, one of the challenges of modern technology, there's a, a great book out called Power Failure that talks about that, how it, the modern technology just, and I'm not opposed to modern technology, I have it, and I like it, and I like Netflix, and I like Prime, and I like shows, and I like all that stuff. But one of the dangers of it is it can create this amazing isolation in our lives where, where we just become more and more curved in on ourselves. And so humanity is getting more and more curved in on itself. And so the, the, the story is going like, like a swirly in a toilet, you know? It's going down. And then suddenly we come to the end of chapter 11. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father, Terah, was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And that becomes really significant in this whole promise thing. She's barren. And Abraham's old. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your, father, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Remember what Babel was trying to do? They were trying to make a name for themselves. What does God do? He says, I will make your name great, 
and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All the pe- Ab- Abram, you have the opportunity to literally change history. So Abram went. We could just stop right there. Abram went. Now get into the how radical that is. He just went. And Sarah just went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. What are we doing? And I know people go, well, they lived longer than and all that stuff. But no, 75 is still, I mean, that's still pretty, pretty. I mean, if, you know, I'm almost there. So I'm going to be there one of these days. But it's it's kind of a, you don't really think about radically changing your life at, at 75, really? He took his wife Sarai, his lot nephew, and all the possessed, all the possessions, all they had accumulated, all the people they'd acquired from Haran, and they set off for the land of Cana, and they arrived there. Ab- Abram traveled as far as the site of the great tree of Morah. You know where that is? You guys know where that is, right? The great tree of Morah. At Shechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, and the Canaanites are in the land, we'll get into that too. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to them. From there he went toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent and with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. Father, just, just really bless us today, Lord. Help us to hear. We want to hear your voice for us. Even if we're 75 or 7 or 5 or a combination of those, seven times five, whatever that is, whatever age we are, Lord, may we, may we just grab a hold of your call on us this year. And may we not be content to just live in the status quo like, like Florence Nightingale was not content and Abraham was not content. And I was not content. May we all take this journey of faith this year. Amen. So, God begins this amazing restoration process for humanity. So, we look at Genesis and how, how broken and corrupt the people had become. Just really corrupt. You know, the, humanity's greatest effort was to build this big tower. And the ultimate result of it was to crash and burn, and nobody really knows, you know, the, the people there were trying to build a great name for themselves. Nobody knows really the names of any of the people that did that besides the fact that they built a tower that fell and they were scattered all over the place. But how many people know the name Abram or Abraham? Pretty much everybody in the world almost. Boy, that's amazing. That, that's better than having like ten, nine billion followers on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Name your name your poison. And so we begin to see this redemption story of God beginning through this one human being, the restoration of all of humanity, the bringing back together of all that has been undone. See, God, God, 
God is a pursuing God. He's a missional God. He's a God that, that isn't content. He could have just started over. Like I've said before, nobody would have known. You know, who would have known? God. I mean, some of the angels might have, but he could have just told them to shut up. You know, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody they're the fifth iteration of this whole thing. But he didn't. He didn't choose to give up on us, and he doesn't choose to give up on you. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I just feel like I've screwed up so many times. I feel like I'm so messed up that God just probably has given up on me. Guess what? He never does. He has never given up on humanity. He's never given up on his people. When he's, he, God is so unlike us. I mean, I, I give up on people sometimes. God doesn't. And God, why, why did God choose Abram? Bible never says. He just did. Out of all the people of the earth, I don't know if he was like, you know, if he was like playing spin the bottle that day with the, the Son and the Holy Spirit, if the angels were all, you know, they had a dark game going, like, oh, yeah, Abraham, okay. There's some guy out in the middle of the desert, you know, we'll just choose him. But it doesn't say it. It was just by his grace that he gracefully chose him. You know what? You know why I'm here today? Not because I was a really good person, did really good things, and I was a really good candidate for being a a senior pastor, I had a speech impediment, and I was a drug dealer and all kinds of other stuff. I was not a good candidate for this. I'm here today because of God's grace, because of his mercy. And so, let me just go through. So, what, what, is, what does faith look like? What does faith look like? Well, first of all, there's a call to it. There's a call to it for all of us, Florence Nightingale. The reason I used her is because she's not called, quote, into ministry. But was she called into ministry? Yeah. Yeah. One of our, one of our people that went here for a long time was Pete, Pete Anderson. And he was a, a, a child oncologist. He helped. He was working to alleviate cancer in children. And he was actually using the mRNA thing that they used for the, the vaccines for COVID. He was actually figuring out ways to create a vaccine for cancer for kids. And it may actually become a reality. He felt that was his call. His call, he saw so many. If you ever go, I, I end up in the hospital in the children's ward sometimes. There is no sadder place in the world. And, and his call was... To bring something to heal these children. I was walking through the Cleveland Clinic one day. I was seeing the progression of the building of the clinic. And I thought, whether or not they know it, this is the hands and feet of Jesus to bring healing to people's lives physically. So we have a call. We have a call. You know what? There's, I don't know that there's anybody. We don't think about this. So you used to use the term in... In, in, in seminary, and, and I know that the, the first part of this term can, you know, sometimes people don't look at it in necessarily the right way, but it was, they called it conversion and call. And by conversion, they just meant new life, encountering Jesus, Jesus encountering us. But that it always came with some kind of, okay, now you have me in you, 
And guess what God is? He's a missional God. So guess what happens when he lands in our hearts? He makes us missional people. He calls us. What did he do with Peter, James, and John? He said, come, follow me. I'll make your fishers of men. What did did he do with Isaiah when Isaiah encountered God? Woe is me, Lord. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And the next thing you know, God goes, who will go for us? And Isaiah's like, I'm in. God goes, good. Nobody's ever going to listen to you, and and your ministry's basically going to fall flat on its face for a long time. But then one day, one day, there's going to be a group of people sitting in in Wycliffe, Ohio, and they're going to hear your message, Isaiah. And it might change their life. The call of faith. The call of faith. It was kind of interesting that that book, um, uh, Power Failure, it was talking about what voices do we listen to? It was talking about there's kind of a, not new, it's an old term, echo chamber, but it's a, it's a, a new term for kind of social uh, media stuff. Echo chamber is basically where, where we find ourselves sometimes just listening to voices that reinforce what we already believe. And so we're basically hearing back what we want to hear. So whether it's on CNN or Fox News or whatever station you whatever listen to kind of thing. We're just getting that feedback. And, and to be honest, as a pastor, it's challenging because sometimes the biggest, um, my, the, the biggest influence on a lot of people's lives is, is not me, is not the Bible. It's, it's that. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's not a good thing. I want the biggest voice that I hear in my, in my life to be God's. Because that's going to transform this world. I want to hear God's voice. And I would encourage some of you this year, if, if that's the primary voice you're hearing, to not that we shouldn't be aware of the news and stuff like that, but Teresa and I sometimes in the morning we'll play Pray As You Go and we'll play pray, um, uh, Lectio 365. We'll, I'll put the Bible on the so it's being read to me, which, by the way, was the way that the early church used to listen to it. They didn't all have Bibles. In fact, most of the, they only had, like when they had Paul's letter or letters, they had one, and they passed it around, and maybe they'd make a copy of it, but they listened to it. I want to hear God's voice. I want to hear God's voice this year, don't you? God, what do you, what do you got? What you got, God? It's always a little dangerous to do that. Watch out. When Teresa and I, like I said, many years ago, I felt really felt like that was what was going on. This was before we were even married. Once we started dating, I said, you know, I really feel like I'm called to do, I don't know what, but to do something. And she said, okay, as long as I don't have to be a pastor's wife. I'm like, okay. Okay. Um, sounds good. So like I said before, we were going to be missionaries in the garbage cities in Mexico. And as we had the church pray, by the way, it's good to find, it's good to get confirmation for this. It's not good to just like leave your home and your family and everything without some kind of confirmation. You know, sometimes it can not be good. But, but we, um, we began 
having the church pray, and when the church started praying, we thought, you know what, I think maybe we're supposed to apply to some churches. So there's this little church in Wycliffe, and they sent this little, this is pre-computers, they sent a little, um, like a, a note, and they put it on the board, a little what? Yeah, it was a stone tablet. They sent a pigeon, a pigeon with a rock, and <laughs> dropped it on our head. And so, so anyway, we get this thing for Wycliffe, and we thought, I don't know. And so I called him up, and I thought, it sounds kind of cool. So we come out here, and it's like, you know, we're like, maybe, maybe it just kind of felt like we we're supposed to be here. And so we kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies, we loaded up. You know, I ended up going to seminary. There's a whole backstory to that too. But I won't go into that here. We ended up loading up this truck and, and taking, like, like Abram, taking all our possessions, and, and we came out here. And, and, and that means me to, to our second part. So there's, there's a call, but there's also a cost. There's a cost. When we, when we got out here, we had hit the last exit on the tollway. I pulled over. Teresa was driving our car. I pulled over with this truck, and I just started sobbing. Because I realized we were, we were saying goodbye to a whole life, a comfortable life. I mean, I could have stayed at the church we were at and probably made three times what I made, was being offered here. And our families were there. And our brothers and sisters were there. And it was really comfortable. And it was good. But we decided to take a step out. And there was a cost. In fact, when we got out here, it was, it was I mean, it wasn't funny at the time. Because we had to give God reinforce our, for about first five, for the first five years, we had to have God just reinforce the fact that we're supposed to be here. Because we ran into like some really big challenges. One of the challenges we ran into right away was there were some people that had kind of invaded the church. So the church was trying to figure out who, who and what they were. And several, some of you were the original members in that church. And I'm so glad that you actually stuck. You're still with me. That's amazing. It's like, that takes faith. Um, but anyway, so we come in and we, we, we realized there, there was this group of people that had they were, they were called Reconstructionists, and they, had, they had, were influencing other people in the church. And they, they didn't have, they had disavowed driver's licenses. They didn't pay Social Security. They didn't believe in marriage licenses. Um, they believed that you're supposed to follow the Old Testament law, like to the letter, like you shouldn't wear mixed clothing, you shouldn't eat lobster and stuff. It's like, when they came to the lobster, I'm like, okay, I can't do it. Can't be from God. But anyway, so so we, we we're at this thing, and I'm like I was talking to one of the you know one of the couples that hired us, and I said because it, it was I mean I was like oh my gosh, this is not at all what we thought we were getting into, you know this is not what we signed up for, and and so we we asked them and we said why why didn't you tell us about this? And they said well we thought if we told you you wouldn't come, and I was like oh my gosh, really? <laughs> well you're right I wouldn't have. But you know what? We kept asking God, and God kept going, "No, this is where this is where I this is where I called you. I called you to plant the church here, not to just plant a church, but to see churches planted all around the Cleveland area." There's a cost to faith. 
And we have to let go of things. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. So Abram had to, had to let go. And, and in his culture, that was even a bigger deal. I mean, being part of a clan, being part of a family was huge. And, and not only that, but he was letting go of his gods. Because in, in those days, each country, the land, was considered to be run by a particular god. So when they were, they, when they were in, um, I can't remember what country they were in, but um, the country that they were in, they had a particular god. So he was not only leaving the country, he was leaving the god, and he was leaving his family. I mean, not that he wouldn't, you know, he sent later on. I mean, they didn't totally disconnect, but, but in a sense they did, like Teresa and I did. We didn't disconnect. We didn't disown our families. We loved our parents. Eventually we began having them come and stay with us because they started not being well. and We're still to honor our mother and father and that kind of thing. But there was, there was a cost to that. There was a cost. There's a cost to walking out that call. Uh, Florence, Florence Nightingale got so much pushback from her parents. And she got pushback from some of the nuns she was working with because they, one of the mother's superiors thought that she should be in charge, not this Florence girl. She got pushback from the military people. And, and responding to a call doesn't mean that it's all going to flow smoothly. Do you realize that when, when this is almost, I mean, it's not funny, but it's almost kind of funny because God promises them this beautiful land and he, part of the reason he, he calls them is, is he calls them to something better. He calls them and he says, I want you to trust that I have something better for you than your family history. I have something better for you than your family traditions. I have something better for you than your family gods. I have something better. He's calling them to a promise. God always calls us to a promise. He doesn't just call us to go, here, follow me and I'll make you miserable. That's not, I don't know, it's just not really inviting, you know. It's not, it's not encouraging. But he called, faith is the belief that, that in, in, you know, it's, it's a confidence in what we hope for. And it's a faith in that which we, which we don't see. So, so God's saying, here is this beautiful land and I'm going to and, and might as well move into this now. I'm going to bless you and there's a promise with faith that's my third point there's a promise there's a promise I will bless you and you will be a blessing and all the nations will be blessed through you and, and there's five five words in the Hebrew that mean bless in that one passage because we have a God who wants to bless not necessarily in the ways this world talks about blessing not necessarily a lot of win and that kind of because we usually think of blessing as like getting lots of money that's a for americans that's a blessing but you know what oh my gosh there's some stuff that is so much more valuable i was talking to one of my friends this week and i said you know what i do every morning is i said god help me help me to do what you've got in front of me today and when i get through the day if i feel like i've done what god's called me to do you know, there is nothing like that. I remember years in Minnesota sitting 
in, in, in a, <laughs> my family, as my parents got older, they somehow got rich after we left the house. I don't know how. Not rich, but kind of wealthy. So they had this boat, you know, they had this nice boat. And I remember sitting in the boat one day, and I was drinking a, a cocktail or something. I was probably just drinking straight whiskey, but I was drinking it. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm going... And our whole life at that point then revolved around snowmobile. It revolved around, revolved around you know, recreation, snowmobiling, to skiing, to water craft, and it just went from one thing. And I thought, God, this is boring. This is this is it's leaving me completely. I kind of had a lot of stuff that people strive for in America. It's like the American dream. Kind of had some of that. And I was like, this is not satisfying at all. God, I want something satisfying. The next thing I know, I find myself in weird places like India, catching a disease that takes me six months to get rid of, but also seeing God work and being able to pray with lepers and being able to see people healed and, and brought to Christ and being just the most amazing thing. My life has been, and my trees in our life has been so amazing. It's been full of struggles and pain, but it's, I would not trade like somebody in, in recovery, I'm in recovery too, said, you know, they used, we used to say, I would not trade my worst day sober for my best day drunk. And I would not trade my, my worst day as a Christian for my best day not a Christian. There's a promise. God's a God of promises. He never asks for more than he gives. He always gives so much more. So much more. Let me kind of wrap it up here. There's, here's a great quote by one of my, one of my, you know, we all have models for our lives, models for faith and stuff like that. And one of mine is, as you guys know, one of mine is, is Rich Nathan. He was a pastor of the Columbus Vineyard. I used to get, to, I traveled with Rich a few times before he actually became really famous and stuff, and I would pray over him, and I just sensed God's blessing on him. And I just told him, I said, Rich, God has got so much more for you than you can imagine. It was just fun to just pray over him, bless him for that. You know, I said, he's going to have you leading more than you can believe. And this is when he was just kind of starting out. Five times in Genesis 12, God mentions his intention to bless one theologian wrote that the God of the Bible is bent towards blessing. Here's what we read. God starts with one man, and he decides to change the world through that one man. God says, I'm going to bless every nation through you, Abraham. How many nations have been blessed through Abraham? Every nation. And the amazing amount of faith it took for Abraham to leave with a, with a barren wife. Like, you're going to... Bless all the nations through me. And, and he knew it meant, off, you know, they were going to multiply his offspring. It's like, so God sends him out. God sends a, a you know, 75-year-old guy out with a barren wife and says, I'm going to build my whole, my whole faith community through you. Isn't that funny? And then when he decides to bring this Savior into the world, who does he choose? Like a, a, a young virgin. God is so weird in a good way. Isn't he? God chooses the weirdest things and the weirdest people. I just wonder what, um, 
I'm going to bless every nation through you, Abram. I just wonder what God could do through the lives of every one of you that's listening me to me today if you ch- simply chose to trust and obey him. Maybe your family's not particularly serious about following Christ. How many generations of people could you affect? How big a blessing could you be for generations to come if you simply responded to the call of Christ today and said yes to him? You may not yet be a Christian. Maybe you come from a messed up home. What new thing could God start through your life if you simply decided to surrender your life to Christ? I wonder how much of a bless, how much blessing has not come into the world despite God's call, despite God's revelation to individuals. How many people have just said, "No, I'm going to take the safe, comfortable route." By the way. Jim and Denise, when they first started coming here and they first started getting involved in ministry, they got a lot of pushback from their families because their family were traditional, certain religious background. And their families just didn't get it. They thought, they were like, what, what are you doing at that cult? You know, because I was, I was that. There's a certain majority religion in the Wycliffe area, and I was not part of that. You know, I'm, I'm Christian through and through. But anyway, so they, they didn't get it. Their families didn't get it at first. After a while, they started getting it. Like, oh. But they had to leave family in a very real sense. I wonder how much blessing has not come into the world despite God's call, despite God's revelation, because many have responded with unbelief. We've heard the call. We have just didn't allow ourselves to believe that we could be an instrument of his blessing. I'm just going to give an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to ask the, I don't, I don't usually do this, I'm going to have the the staff come up at this time and uh, just, just speak out and share if you feel like God's giving you some words for the community, some call, some call words for, for you. And I want to challenge some of you that maybe you've never even taken that step to say yes to Jesus, to this Jesus person. Maybe you're, you're just kind of freaking out, like, what's my family going to think? I'm, I don't, I don't want to be a Jesus freak. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while and there's been something that God's been pushing and pushing and you've just said, no, I can't do it, God. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Just if any of you in the staff feel like God's giving you a word for anybody, go ahead and just share it. It's, it's where I've gotten towards the end of last year to the beginning of this year. I took an inventory 
of last year, and there were things that I just never got around to do. There were things that I had pushed off. There's things that I just really wanted to do but never got to it. And I thought that I was missing out, and I thought that there was, like, that that was done and over with. And just the beginning of this year started as, as we make resolutions or we do things that we, we say we're going to do different or we're going to try to be different. And what I heard was really the Holy Spirit speaking into my heart that says, kind of what Brent was saying today, I'm going to put in front of you today what I'm going to have you do. And I want you to do that to the fullest. And I want to encourage, like if you're that person, if you're like got to the end of last year and you're like, well, I, I missed the mark on all these things. That when we start today, when we start this year, not with we're going to change, we're going to be different, we're going to do this. I just want to encourage you to be open and maybe your change is to be open to that conversation with God and just say, hey, I want, I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to, like, I just want to be present in what your world is for me today. Not to get all, like, spiritual or the calling or whatever, because ultimately if you step out and you walk into that every day, you'll understand what God's called you to do. Amen? Is that somebody here this morning? If that's you, there's there's people that, you know, we're, we're a family. If you want to just put your hand up, people around you can pray. Just want to pray for that because you know what? There's freedom in that. This gentleman over here, Anne-Marie back here, back here. It's a partnership. Not only do we partner with one another and and Lord knows throughout the years we've enjoyed the community. We saw the community come together for David and Kathy this week. Just an amazing, just they were so overwhelmed because why do you care? Well, we care because you're not only part of the kingdom, but you're part of our community. So go ahead. Anybody else want prayer for, for just that, that opportunity to step Leroy in the back. I feel like God is, um, I, I think God is the entire bishop family and everyone connected to you. I feel like God is saying to me, <coughs> I just have this picture of he sings over us, but he sings over the bishop family and that there is not one of you not one that is connected to this family, that God has not put a call on your life. I feel like some of you have just been, you kind of feel like you've been sitting on a bench. You got to it's time to get in the game. You're like, what if I screw up? Yeah, what if you do? Some people who just never said yes to Jesus, you're not even sure what that means. 
I want to encourage you to come and get some prayer or turn to somebody around and get some prayer. So we're going to officially end the service, but that doesn't mean we're ending the service. So um, if you want to come and get prayer, do it, Lord. Just bless. Lord, you said that we are to be, you're going to bless us to be a blessing. May we be blessed to be a blessing. And may we trust in this amazing future you offer to us um, with all of its risks and all of its challenges and all of its costs. We know that you can make our life a river of living water. May it be that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're welcome to leave if you'd like, but you're also welcome to come and just get prayer.